Punky Brewster won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about Die Hard. Hard. Oh, yippee-ki-yay, Father Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> the the reason that we're doing the Is It a Christmas Movie Month is because of Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why we saved this for Christmas Eve is because one of our uh, few traditions yeah. is that uh, every Christmas Eve we get together and watch the original Die Hard. That is correct. Christmas Eve. Every Christmas Eve. And looking forward to watching it again tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, take yourself back to 1988 in January. Well, you didn't sound very excited when you said that, though. It was uh, very generic. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you want me to do that again? I think the audience deserves a little bit more enthusiasm. For I you. am so excited. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Take yourself back to 1988. Uh, January 26th, The Phantom of the Opera opens on Broadway in the United States, where it becomes the longest-running show of all time. And makes it uh, gives a lot of hope to burn victims for love. <laughs> Well, that's true, and that's good. Yeah. yeah. He didn't look like the original Phantom of the Opera. No. Did you see that? The original, the original guy? Oh, he's creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, With yeah. That nose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, The man. weird, yeah. This yeah. guy just had a, a, a really cool half mask. I am, I am just burned. Did he ever, t- I never saw it because I, I, I loathe musicals. Yeah. Most musicals. But did he ever take the mask off? Do you ever, is there a reveal? I, is there a Darth Vader, I've Darth Vader reveal? I've never seen the Phantom of the Opera. Not even the movie? Nope. Hmm. Wow. I hate musicals more than you do, Jim. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe. I did direct I, a musical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> damn good musical. It was good musical. Yeah. Bird Norton. Shout out to uh, Marty Axelrod. Yeah, huh? there you he, go. Pulled and, that uh, one out. And, uh, and, his wife. and his lovely wife. Uh, uh, Kim Olinson. Kim Olinson. Oh, Hannison or something. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hey. Kim and Marty. Shout out Kim to Kim and Marty. They were awesome. Yeah. They were and really it was a great people. play. Emperor it was good. Based on yeah. uh, real events in San Francisco. Look it up. Emperor yep. It was good, time. good times. Uh, February 17th, the 1988 Oshakati bomb blast. A bomb explodes outside the First National Bank in Namibia, killing 27 and injuring 70. Who did it? Uh, they. No one ever took credit for it. Really? Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of bad things going on in Namibia at the time uh, in the late 80s. Uh, May 4th, an explosion in an industrial solid fuel rocket plant in Henderson, Nevada, causes damage extending up to almost 10 miles away, including the Las Vegas airport. Anybody die? No. Who was responsible for that? Uh, the company. Yeah? <laughs> they were doing very illegal things there. Did they, also, did they, they were have not... a, a branch in Namibia? No, I don't think it was a solid fuel rocket plant that blew up outside right. of a bank. Oh, you never know. Yeah. Well, they might have been transporting... The They're rocket fuel in Namibia. Fuel, rocket fuel. Yeah. Is that where the secrets of Nimbibia comes from? No. With the rats? No. no? <laughs> totally different. All right. Spelled differently. Uh, July 15th, Die Hard is unleashed on an unsuspecting audience. Yeah. And becomes uh, a great movie. Also, again, a movie about Christmas that was released during the summer. Really? Yep. Man, I totally have the wrong memory of this because it, I thought I saw it. During Christmas. You could have, because it was still in the theaters by the time Christmas came around. Yeah, well, maybe. I know that I saw it at in San Diego. I was yeah. in college at the time. Okay. Because it was 88, right? Yes. Yeah, so I was a fresh me. Freshy? Yeah. Ugh. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it, but I thought it was 
like around Christmas time, but it was probably the summer. It was just at night. Yeah, buddies, yeah, yeah. Night. Uh, so, uh, how riveting did story. Die Hard, yeah. How did Die Hard get started? Jeb Stewart, the writer, was in between contracted jobs and he needed money. This is why Die Hard was born because he needed money. His agent Jeremy Zimmer, con- Zimmer contacted Lloyd Levin, the head of development at the Gordon Company, Lawrence Gordon's production company, who ended up going on to produce the film. Right. Uh, Levin asked Stewart to work on an adaptation of the 1978 novel Nothing Lasts Forever. Nothing lasts forever. Written by former police officer Roderick Thorpe. Nothing lasts forever. The new novel by Roderick Thorpe. Exactly. Damn, that's an awesome name and an awesome I, name. It's, it's fantastic. Ooh, he, I got chills. He had been inspired to write Nothing Lasts Forever by a dream he had in which armed assailants chase a man through a building after watching the 1974 disaster film The Towering Inferno. Now... Did he have the dream after the Towering Inferno, or did yeah. these guys start chasing him after they watched the Towering Inferno in his dream? <laughs> yeah, think okay. about that, buddy. <laughs> Inception. Fox had adapted the book's 1966 predecessor, The Detective, for a 1968 film starring Frank Sinatra as NYPD detective Joe Leland and purchased the sequel rights before Nothing Lasts Forever had been written. The Detective, starring Frank Sinatra yeah. as... Joe, Joe Leland. Leland. Yeah, yeah. In theaters, 1966. <laughs> 1968. In Technicolor. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see old blue eyes and his blue eyes. Uh, Levin gave Stewart creative freedom as long as he retained the Christmas in Los Angeles setting. Uh, the film was actually pitched as Rambo in an office building, which I find ironic since literally every action movie after Die Hard was Die Hard in whatever. <laughs> right, and Rambo... It, it's not, no, yeah. Rambo is like a... The first, unless they're talking about Rambo two, yeah, but if they're yeah. talking about uh, First Blood, it's yeah, this no story about a Vietnam vet getting it's abused a... <laughs> to the point of having to fight back against a, a sheriff who doesn't care, yeah, and deputies who go along to get along. It wasn't even. It wasn't called Rambo, was it? No, it was, it was, it was called was First a, Blood. Baby. First Blood. That's what oh, it was. Yeah, such a good movie. Can't wait yeah, to do that. It's great. One. Yeah, it's a great movie. Go find his legs. Where's his legs? Producers Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver hired director John McTiernan because of his work with them on the 1987 action film Predator. Oh, yeah. And again, Silver, man. You know, yeah. we talked about him oh, yeah. with our other yeah. Christmas movie. Silver was the man yeah. in the yeah. 80s and 90s. You wanted something done, Silver did it. You wanted an action movie done. Yeah. You want, you know, that was Joel Silver. He uh, and uh, uh, Lawrence Schuler Donner, they produced yeah. just about everything. Yeah. yeah. McTiernan agreed to direct on the condition that the film would have some joy and not simply contain mean, nasty acts seen in other terrorist films. Which is ironic, because if you ever see an interview with John McTiernan, <laughs> he is like the grumpiest, <laughs> joy, most joyless person I've ever seen. <laughs> Funny as hell. But just like, yeah. I don't care. What are you talking about? I don't care. <laughs> you know, and he always, he's got resting He's got anger resting face. anger face. Yeah. Yes. He's got resting, not even anger, just like resting put out face. Or resting just like, get yeah. off my lawn face. Eh, like he's been waiting like for three hours in line at the DMV. That's like, <laughs> that's his demeanor. It's just so funny. I'll do it if there's joy. There's got to be joy. So Stewart began writing. Uh, he worked 18 hour days at his office in Walt Disney Studios in Burbank. Left him exhausted and on edge. He had an argument with his wife, and he went for a drive and, uh, over Mulholland Drive. He saw a box in his lane, and unable to avoid it, accidentally drove over it. And, yeah, 
This is just such a stupid screenwriter. He pulled story. over on the side of the freeway, his heart pounding. He realized that he shouldn't have been fighting with his wife because he could have killed a baby or something in a box. And so that's where he got the central yeah, idea. The old baby in a box. I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know, man. It's hey just man, what he, it was yeah. L.A. in the 80s. There was a lot of babies in boxes. Whatever it was, it worked because he went home and he wrote 35 pages that night after nice. reconciling with his wife. And that was a quick reconciliation. Hey, honey, look, I'm sorry. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I got ready. I got ready. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's just where the, the idea of them fighting, uh, McLean and his wife fighting. And, and Which is so great, man. I mean, that adds yeah. a, a real human layer to this yeah. story. Yeah, 100%. Having no experience writing action films, Stuart drew on his experience writing thrillers, focusing on making the audience care about McLean, Holly, and their reconciliation. Uh, as he, Stuart pitched the story to the executives, Lawrence Gordon interrupted him, told him to complete a draft, and left. Wait, said what? He just goes, complete a draft, and then he left the room. Oh, because he, okay. He was like, it's whatever, it sounds good, finish yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's I, the thing, it's like, don't waste my time. Yeah. Don't he, tell me about it, show it to me. He finished the first draft six weeks later. Good. That's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, he did, I mean, he did a good job for for first uh, first draft. Uh, Nothing Lasts Forever, the book, was much more cynical and nihilistic. Uh, Leland's written as an experienced older man working as a high-powered security consultant. Have you read it? No. I'm surprised. No. I should get that for you for Christmas one year since you yeah. love that movie. I It's it's, it's very different. So I, that's why I've never read it. Um, well, I'm hoping to do an adaptation of it when I turn 60. All right. <laughs> Stuart rejected the novel's tone for being too sad and believed an older action hero, the main character being over 60, was nonsensical. <laughs> uh, Liam Neeson would beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> and also ironic that now John McClane has, I'm pretty sure the last movie he was almost 60. Oh, he was in his 60s. Oh, was maybe? he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're doing a new one, aren't they? Yeah, he's they're doing another 70, one. He's, old. He? he's gotten old. Yeah. I love him to death, but he's in that uh, Bruce Willis yeah. I love him, man. I've loved him ever since Moonlighting. I love the guy. He's in that stage where he's starting to look like an old woman. Yeah. Where, <laughs> where these action, they start looking like old women. Yeah, yeah. It's going to happen to all of us, man. Yeah. It's yeah. inevitable, but it's just like, it's so sad when these tough guys get in that old lady phase, uh, and you're just like, oh, jeez. Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, a fan of prominent Western film actor John Wayne, Stewart was inspired to carry Western theme throughout the script, including the cowboy lingo. Hey, because hey. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he befriended a construction superintendent at the under-construction Fox Plaza in Los Angeles where they shot uh, some of the film, allowing him access to the building to gain ideas on how to lay out the characters and the scenes. I bet you that construction guy loved that. Uh, <laughs> uh, here, comes, here comes Joe Hollywood again. Oh, that guy's got so so many questions. <laughs> We're never gonna, the reason why the building took so long? Yeah. It was because they never got anything done because they always had to show this guy around. Chip, Chip Stewart was... <laughs> now, now, tell me a little bit more about these uh, metal um, braces that you have here. If I push somebody through it, would it make the whole building... Cl oh, jeez. No, it's not... It's not look, you're not looking at a load-bearing uh, beam here. Uh, oh, jeez. Ugh. He delivered the finished screenplay in June of 1987. It was greenlit the next day because 20th Century Fox needed a summer blockbuster. For nice timing. Yeah. Uh, so casting. So they went on. Uh, they had to offer contractually. They had to offer the movie to Frank Sinatra. Now, <laughs> he was 70 at the time. Hey. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, no. Look, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm a 70-year-old man. I'm not going to go jumping and hooping and jooping through buildings. And in, you wait, you want me to be, 
This takes place mostly in the air ducts. <laughs> oh, this is stupid. Uh, this is dumb. So, yeah. What's my name? Oh, didn't he have Alzheimer's disease? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Did he did he? I don't know. I, don't I know. think he started losing it towards. Well, yeah. yeah. So they offered the part after he turned it down. They offered the part to various major stars, including Sylvester Stallone, Richard hey, Gere. Hey, look. Uh, you be good. No. Holy! How did you do? What did you do? You do? What did you do? What did you do? Okay. Hey, I got a machine gun. Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, yeah. Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, James Conn, and Al Richard Pacino. Dean Anderson. Basically, whoa, hey. Literally everyone. Yeah. They literally offered this to everyone, including Arnold Schwarzenegger. But he wanted to do comedy, so he turned it down to do Twins. <laughs> Which is great, because he'd be so much better in Twins yes. than this. Because, yes. first of all, he wouldn't fit no. in all of the air ducts. <laughs> He's too big, bulky guy. No, it would not. Except for Richard Dean Anderson, they were trying to get it to be an, an action movie star. Bruce Willis was popular because of Moonlighting, mm. uh, starring opposite that show, Sidney Shepard. When we, we're going to do a show on that show. Yeah. That show was a, a juggernaut. And it was yeah. different than any other show on television. And that show was the first show that I remember that the behind the scenes hoo ha was like yeah, just as yeah, popular yeah. as what was going on in the show. Yeah. It was always like, oh, yeah, Sybil yeah. Shepard, she's not getting along yeah, with yeah. Bruce Willis. And then they do like weird shows because they'd both be such little prissy brats and wouldn't do the show <laughs> because they're just little jerks. Right, right. So then right. they have to do a whole show with like the ancillary one, characters yeah. or whatever. But when that show, when they were on the show, maybe it was magic. Right, right. Uh, he initially declined, much like everyone else, because of his contractual obligations to the show. But then Sybil Shepard became pregnant. Nice. Uh, got Do you think he planned up. it? Do you think he went in? Uh, he did. He did like a sneak attack on the condoms. <laughs> I'm plucking holes. I really want this movie. So, but this is the fascinating thing is that they shut the show down for 11 weeks because she was pregnant. Yeah. Like they just shut the whole show down. Yeah. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't. It's like they just were like, okay. Well, sh- it. I think her pregnancy. It wasn't one. Of, I think, and I could be totally wrong yeah. about this. But I, I thought it was like one of those bedridden kind of like. Oh, she literally could not. Yes, do she anything. couldn't. Uh, okay. okay. You know, it wasn't like a jump around. Right. Right. You know, modern family pregnancy where right. they just hold a laundry basket <laughs> or for some reason right. have presents. <laughs> uh, where well, do we, you want this medicine bowl? I've got a giant purse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so it gave Willis enough time to do it, so he took the part. He got $5 million for the role. Yeah, uh, which 20- was a lot of money back yeah. then. Man. Oh, it made big news. I remember. Yeah. I remember. Uh, 20th Century Fox justified the figure by saying Die Hard need an actor of Willis's potential. Yeah. Well, this also cemented him as a star. 100%. This took yeah. him. It is a rare, just ask our buddy Tom Selleck, it is a rare jump from yeah. TV to yeah. film. If Selleck would have gotten Raiders of the Lost Ark, he would have been one of the biggest movie stars of all time. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? It's timing and that kind of thing that just, you can't, you can't make it happen. It's lightning yeah, in a bottle. Yeah. And the fact that he got this turned him from, you know, a TV star into a oh, movie Oh, he star. was huge, yeah. Because his huge. other movies, you know, didn't do that well. Blind he, Date the did only, okay. The only thing he had really done before this was Blind yeah. Date. Yeah. And it, and it was okay. Yeah. It, it didn't. It didn't cement him as being a movie star. Gordon said that Willis's everyman persona was essential to conveying the idea that the hero could actually fail. And then Willis said, They paid me what they thought I was worth for the film and for them. Even though he's a hero, he's just a regular guy. He's just an ordinary guy who's been through in extraordinary circumstances. God, I'm so grumpy. 
<laughs> Rickman was already in his early 40s Hello. as he made his screen debut as Hans Gruber. Uh, he was cast by Silver, who had not been, who had seen him perform in a Broadway play as the villain. Oh, yeah. he is so good, so good. And I, I just remember he was one of the first like really captivating villains because he wasn't yeah. like a. It, it, he had the gravitas of a supervillain or whatever, but right. he had the humanity yeah. of a person. Yeah. He could have been anybody. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, even now, he was... He was he also was like, so could we, shall we get her on the couch? <laughs> Would that be okay if we put her on the couch? <laughs> He was, he was, he was a charming villain. It yes. was, it was, it was brilliant. It was a brilliant Not take. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bonnie Bedelia was cast at, at Willis's suggestion after he saw her in the 1983 biographical film Heart Like a Heart Wheel. Heart Like a Wheel. That, oh uh, yeah, where she was like a race car driver, right? Heart Like a Wheel was about the first female drag racing champion, now, which also starred Hoyt Exton. Heart Like a Wheel. The only other thing that I that I thought was interesting about it was that it was it was a shot by Tak Fujimoto, who oh, worked yeah. with Jonathan Demme and Howard Deutsch. And M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, one of the best cinematographers of yeah. all time. Yeah. Uh, Reginald Vell Johnson appeared as Al Powell in his first major film role at the suggestion of casting director Jackie Birch, with whom he had worked previously. Uh, Robert Duvall, Gene Hackman, Lawrence Fishburne, and Wesley Snipes were all considered for the role. <laughs> well, wow. Could you. All over the place. I'm there. sure they were considered for the role. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure that Gene Hackman was broken up that he didn't get uh, the part of Al. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking what? about? Wait, get my agent on the phone. <laughs> I didn't get Al. I've been I've been working on that part for the last three months. <laughs> and Robert Duvall too. I bet you he was. Just oh, like, I'm sure oh, he man. was. He was hurt. When I didn't get it, yeah. I didn't get it. <laughs> uh, Ellis, Ellis, the guy you may not remember. Uh, Ellis was. Can the... I just say, Reginald Vell yeah. Johnson? He has played the same part for the last like 50 years. Like, I bet you people yeah. see him on the street and think he's a real cop. Like, I yeah. bet you for a long time, people are like, get the boy, there's a cop! Well, it's because he, because of, I mean, right around the same time is when he got cast in the, the TV show. Family fairs. Family ties. Family. No, not family ties. Um, um, I don't remember the name of Urkel it. In the Moon, in the, <laughs> Urkel in the... The Urkel Show. Yeah. What? Family, family Matters. Family yes. Matters. Ma -ma 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 yeah. Um, yeah, but he was he was essentially playing the exact same character. My friend Darren's voice sounds exactly like his voice. They have the exact same case. He does. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the character of Ellis, uh, who was the the infamous guy who uh, hands Booby uh, hands. Yeah, a lot of cocaine. I give it to you. Uh, he was portrayed by Hart Buckner. Uh, Hart uh, Buckner, baby. He was a friend of An Joel Silver's. Another awesome name, man. I know. You see. You know, you don't see Hart Bachners anymore. No. You know, now no. it's like Rose Filiger or, or Zimple de Gajumba, you know, whatever. But it's what? never like Hart Bachner or Dirk <laughs> Mickles or, or Stone Rockford or, you know, it's always like Are they all Arr. characters on the Flintstones? Yes. <laughs> Flintstones had it right, man. They were tough. <laughs> Uh, he, they shot his part in chronological order over three weeks. Uh, McTiernan wanted the character to be suave like Cary Grant, yeah. but Bachner conceived of the character's motivations coming from cocaine use and insecurity. Yeah, and self-preservation. Um, McTiernan hated how he performed the character. Oh, sure. He was he so hated. Okay, this movie has probably the most hateable character. Like, look, the yeah. 80s and 90s were the... Prime time 
for hateable characters in film and television, like insipid yeah. characters. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there are like three actors that played them all. I feel so bad for these hateable. guys. I know, I know. Because, you, you know, you know how dumb people are. They just be like, yeah. you're a jerk, buddy. And I'm going like, to punch you. I'm, I'm just playing yeah. the part. I just, they wrote the words <laughs> for me, buddy. But, uh, but this movie was so good at having so... And it wasn't the yeah. bad guys that were insipid characters. It no. was the, the reporter and, you know... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and another thing about the 80s and 90s was the comeuppance. Oh, yeah. I always, always had to have the comeuppance. And the comeuppance was always a sock to the face, baby. Or the comeuppance was always violence. Getting shot in the face. Sure. Well, yes, <laughs> which is violence. Um, part of the whole violence oeuvre. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah that's how they dealt with <laughs> dealt with everything with a punch in the face or a shot to the noggin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Mm. Violence solves everything. <laughs> Did back then. Uh, so despite Good the things, fact, things have changed. Despite the fact that McTiernan hated the performance, because Gordon and Silver loved it, he didn't change anything. Uh, I hate it. My guess I is hate that, that performance. Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver probably identified with Hart Bachner's character yeah. when they were out doing coke. They're like, "This is great. Yeah. This yeah. is yeah. great. Character yeah. yeah, I love it." All right, we're gonna take a quick break. Can we come back and talk about the filming? Like Zoinks, man! It's Shaggy! And Ruby Roo! And like, when we're cruising around in the mystery machine, man, we're like always listening to the Gen X Files! Hehehe! <laughs> and Radom! Now on Spotify! New episodes every Friday. All celebrity voices are poorly impersonated. Filming. Yes. So after they had gotten to this point of the first draft being done and casting and everything, uh, they hired Stephen E. D'Souza to rewrite Stewart's script because he had uh, experience writing action and comedy. He had previously written 48 Hours, Commando, and The Running Man. Nice. Yeah. But Running Man was really written by Stephen King. Or yeah. should we say... Uh, did you see the movie? Yeah. Because it's, it's exact. Not... It, <laughs> it, is, is... it is so true to form. The original... If you haven't read the original Running Man... Ooh, it so is, good. It is one of my favorite Stephen yeah. King stories ever. It's the most... 80s adaptation of any movie yes. ever. If you want to like encapsulate the 80s into a what they thought the future would be like, <laughs> it's the Running Man. We're, we're definitely going to have a Running Man episode. Oh, have uh, to, and and it's it's amazing. It's like someone someone really wrong. It's like they they took Stephen E. D'Souza in and they go, hey, it's a it's a movie about a guy on a TV show set in the future, and that's all he heard. Now I see gold costumes. <laughs> Uh, uh, one of the few screen. This is the other thing that's interesting about Stephen E. D'Souza. He's one of the few screenwriters whose films had a cumulative box office of more than two billion dollars. Yes, and he probably made one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Um, yeah, he. I don't think he. <laughs> really no, made he's a lot. made a lot of money. No, what he's, he's done fine. He's done fine. Don't weep for D'Souza. Uh, the only time you should weep for D'Souza is knowing that he made Street Fighter. <laughs> oh, yeah. He wrote and directed Street Fighter. He did not direct a single movie after that. Yeah. Well. That's was that his first? No, he had directed a couple things before oh. that, but Oof. but he did not direct anything. Yeah, after that. look, man, that's that's a that's an uphill battle picking a video game. Nobody's yeah. ever done that. He Stephen E. D'Souza is a fascinating person because I wrote a play that had was partially inspired by Die Hard, a Christmas play, yeah. and he actually came and saw it. Really? Yeah, and I got to meet him and and talk to him for a while. But like, he apparently he's like, yeah, I always look at all the 
the bylines, and if they if they come if they have something to do Die Hard, I go see it. And nice. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe he'll listen to this show. I will I'll try. We'll now I feel like an ass. Look, man, <laughs> you're awesome. Yeah, he's, it's not your fault that Street Fighter killed your career. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it was a. They would have done it to anybody. There's some great articles about it. He's very open about it. But it was, yeah. Well, that's the thing. You don't make a movie about a fighting game. It's yeah, like they it, pick all uh, these yeah. dumb games. It's like. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make any sense. The reason why The Witcher works is because there's a whole lore. It's a story. Uh, like yeah, there's a, a story. Yeah, but there's also, like, a whole world behind it. Right, right, exactly. You know, you could pick story. It's like Star you, Wars you or Star Trek or any sort of world. This bidding. is why I've never understood, like, Mortal Kombat. It's like you, you can't do a movie about Pong, a fighting competition. <laughs> it's just not interesting enough. Coming this summer, <laughs> Frogger. So the most interesting thing that Steven E. D'Souza did and added to the story was that he approached it as if Gruber was the protagonist. He said, If he had not planned the robbery and put it together, McLean would have just gone to the party and reconciled with his wife or not. You should sometimes think about looking at your movie through the point of view of the villain who is really driving the narrative. It was interesting because it really is like, it's Hans Gruber and John McLean are like, the two main characters. I mean, yes. like, it's, it, is, it is an interesting... I don't think it had really been done before that. It's um, a cat and mouse game. Yeah, I don't think it's been done like that because no, they're no. not equals no, at all. No, You know, Bruce Willis, the John McLean, yeah. at least in this movie, you know, is just a guy. Yeah, yeah, he's not. And he, he's not the big superhero No, because he gets beat up and bloody. I mean, oh, nasty, you know, look nasty, at his nasty. gross... His shirt, shirt. that becomes black. Yeah. <laughs> just like it starts off as white and then... Ugh. You know, I used to um, go to that the Nakatomi building yeah. all the time yeah, when yeah. I worked for ILM, and there was a time where they were doing some construction oh, yeah. on one of the floors, <laughs> and it totally looked like Die Hard, and I went up there. Every time I would go in, though, I would take off my shoes and socks, <laughs> and I would strip down to just uh, my pants and a tank top, yeah. and then I'd just like, go running in there and sliding around and, and be like, everybody get to the roof! Everybody get to the roof! Break a bunch of glass. Yeah, I'd, I'd, <laughs> just like, run I'd around. throw glass bottles on the floor. <laughs> Man, I got arrested six times. Wow, wow. It's out of eight. He's so, doing it again. He's doing it again. Just turn it. the lights off. Pretend yeah. we're not here. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm lucky I didn't get fired. Uh, the script continued to undergo changes up to and during filming. Uh, there were several, several subplots and traits for characters other than McLean that were created during the first few weeks because Bruce Willis was still working on Moonlighting. Uh, he would film the show for up to 10 hours, then go to work die hard at night. Uh, McTiernan, I know, it's... It Look, it's like the... Yeah, it's like Back to the Future. Yeah, you know, these yeah. TV guys, these young guys... Well, he wasn't that young. He was in his 30s. Yeah, probably. yeah, I know. But that's an incredibly crazy schedule. But if you think about yeah. it, too... He's not working tw that whole 10 hours. He can nap no, in his trailer. No, no. And, you know, He's it's like, working uh, maybe 40 minutes exactly. of that 10 hours. <laughs> got a yeah. lot of stunt guys. Uh, McTiernan gave Willis time off to rest, and he tasked D'Souza with adding new scenes. This included scenes with Holly's housekeeper, Holly confronting Gruber following Takagagi's death, Takagi's death, sorry, an introductory scene for Thornburg, and more moments between Powell and his fellow officers. It was pretty much anything that he wasn't in that sure. he just added in. <laughs> oh, but you in charge. You, yeah. what idiot put you in charge? <laughs> you did. Uh, Would it be okay if we put on a couch? <laughs> <laughs> Silver wanted the scene, wanted a scene between McLean and Gruber before the film's denouement, but D'Souza could not think of a plausible scenario until he happened over here, Alan Rickman, affecting an American accent. Yeah, that was such an awesome part. The tension in that, because you're just it's like, oh, so what's going to happen? And, Oh, oh, you're one of them. You're one of them. <laughs> oh, my God. His American accent is oh so my God, amazing. You're one of them. 
that is me yeah. doing a, well, not even doing a, a British accent, doing an Austrian accent, doing an, an American accent. Right. Man. That's, right. that's a tough it impersonation is hard. to hard. do, man. It's a, yeah, yeah. Oof, my tongue, I think, sprained it. <laughs> he, uh, D'Souza realized this would allow Gruber to disguise himself when he met McLean, and the earlier scene of Takagi's murder was reworked to conceal Gruber's identity from McLean. It's so smart. Such a great it, scene, too. And this is the other brilliant thing about it, is that just by changing that one scene at the beginning, and him not seeing Hans Gruber, mm-hmm. like, the whole time he's just talking to him on, on the radio, and, yeah. like, it adds the tension. It's just, it's so brilliant. Yes. Ho, brilliant. Ho, ho. <laughs> now I have machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> In Stewart's original script, Die Hard actually took place over three days. God, that'd be laborious. Uh, but McTiernan was inspired to have it take place over a single night, like in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Of course, because what are you going to do for three days? Is he going to, like, camp out and, and sleep I, in a... In, it's not a three-day party. Yes. Like, it's going to be ridiculous. And, and, and if they were holding hostages for three days, somebody I, would come. Yeah. You it know. would. It would, yeah. You get the FBI. I guess the FBI is there for three days. Three days. Come on. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, principal photography began in November 1987, concluded by early March in 88, with an approximate $35 million budget. That's insane. It's insane that they made that for that little yeah. bit of money. Because yeah. everything is practical. Everything was practical. That you know, they correct. blew up the top of that building. They did, and they really pissed off the neighbors. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> really but yeah, man. I mean, like, it's crazy what they did. Yeah. And uh, that's $5 million of that goes to Willis. To so Bruce, you're talking yeah. about... Thirty million. Yeah, yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. Filming took place almost entirely. Silver in... probably took ten. Oh God knows. You know? And they probably spent ten on their cocaine budget. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> the only reason they could use Fox Plaza was that the two conditions: they couldn't film during the day, and they could not damage anything from the explosions. Yeah. Well, uh, Fox owned the building. I know, but they 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 still technically the lower half of it was still had offices yes. and people working yeah. during the day. Uh, cinematographer Jan de Bont said the building's design was distinct, making it a character in its own. The surrounding city could be seen from within the building, enhancing the realism. Again, another one of the great, one of the greatest action DPs of all time. Yes, Jan de Bont is incredible. Uh, he frequently used handheld cameras to film closer to the characters, creating more cinematic intimacy. Oh, yeah, I mean, you really got to know Bruce Willis, and and what a tough job for him because he's basically alone most of the time. Yeah. Just yeah. talking into a walkie-talkie. Looking for cigs and, yeah. and shoes. Yeah. In fact, the the scene where he is talking to Al and talking about his wife. unappreciated, Al. And he's bandaging his feet. That was the reason that he got 12 monkeys. Uh, oh, wow. It was um, the director uh, saw that scene and was like, I ha- I ha- he needs to be the lead in my movie. That's awesome. Yeah. Another yeah. great movie. Yeah. Terry Gilliam, I think. Terry Gilliam. Thank you. Of. Yes. Um, yeah. Another amazing movie. Yeah. But it was it was it was because it allowed him to show weakness. And, well, Bruce and Willis is a really good actor. He's a great actor. Yep. You know, he's a guy. He's another guy like Harrison Ford. Like Harrison Ford shows beat up and bruised, like nobody's business. Yeah, but he yeah. still seems like a hero. A you know what I mean? Yeah. Not a Superman, but you know, like like a typical Indiana Jones. You know, you would you could see him in any decade, any yeah. movie, yeah. any time. Yeah, you know, yeah. he is just like that square jawed, you know, hundred percent. Yeah, and, but Bruce Willis is kind of a mook. You know, he's kind of like this. Uh, you know, he's he's not super ripped <laughs> in the first one, at least. No, you know, he's got uh, his, his hair is thinning, and he's got that weird mouth, and you know, it's just like he, he looks like a cop. He just looks exactly, like a cop. exactly. Yeah. But he also does. He does like authentically beat up. Yeah, so well. Like he. He's not afraid to look bad. 
Yeah. Which I think yeah. a lot of actors are afraid to do, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think he, he's, at least then, you know, I don't know now, you know, it's like yeah. when they're young yeah. and hungry, they're always going to be doing, if, if they're good, young and hungry, they're going to do great work no matter right. what they're in. Right. And the performance, it's, it gets discounted because it's an action movie. But it, the next time you watch Die Hard, really pay attention to the performances of the leads. Yeah, 100%. Because yeah. they're very authentic. Mm -hmm. In this movie, even though it's outrageous, you know, with the explosions <laughs> and stuff, the, the, the characters, the relationships, the dialogue, yeah. it all pretty much rings true. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah it, it, it feels very believable. Uh, very little of the film was storyboarded beforehand because Yondabont believes that intricate storyboarding made his job redundant. Yeah. So he well, he's like, just one of those guys that sees in his head, too. You know, and McKiernan's yeah. a guy that trusts his DP as long as he knows. They would, they he's would, a no-nonsense yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. He's they grumpy, would, but he gets They would stuff meet done. in the morning yeah. and talk about what they're shooting that day, and they would decide that morning. Yeah. And, and figure out how to shoot it. Which is great because it gives you a spontaneity of getting what you need for that day rather than like being rigidly because you know look at like uh you know if you, if you look at the other side of the spectrum then you have alfred hitchcock yeah who everything was meticulously yeah. it was like everything was a painting and then he recreated that painting in the frame right which is great and beautiful yeah yeah you know, and yeah. worked 100 percent for his films but on the other side you have a more spontaneous a spontaneous, yeah. a guy that wants to kind of like, see, how can we get in there right. and really capture the the feeling and emotion? Uh, Jan de Bont really, I think I said this on another episode, but more than anybody, yeah. he uses uh, motion and moving the camera in a way that is that is part of the story. Right. It's, it's, there's no superfluous moves. No, there's it, no like, helps, oh, this would be yeah. cool. It's it has to have a meaning behind it. Yeah, it it he he uses the camera to help tell the story. Mm -hmm. and, and that this is what he until John McTiernan, he was like, I don't really care about it being attractive. Yeah. I just want to be able to to tell the drama. Right. And that's what makes this stand out more than you know yeah. all of the, all of these little bits come together to make this movie. If if it wasn't Jan de Bont shooting it, yeah, or yeah. if it wasn't Bruce Willis in it, or if it wasn't McTiernan directing it, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have been the you same. You know, it wouldn't yeah. have been great if if it might have been a good movie with Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> but it wouldn't have been a classic that we watch every year. Right, exactly, Eve. exactly. Uh, Bruce insisted on doing many of his own stunts, despite the new stringent rules stemming from the Twilight Zone accident that happened a few years prior. Uh, yeah. Uh, the first scene Willis shot was him leaping from the roof while attached to the fire hose. Literally his first <laughs> shot. Yes, which wasn't from the actual roof. No, it was it from was a twenty. A, it was a twenty-five foot leap, but it was from a five-story parking yeah, garage. I mean, I mean it's, it's you, need, you know, and the guy's not a trained stuntman. He almost no. missed the bag. He considered to be one of the toughest stunts. Uh, the explosive force pushed him towards the edge of the airbag, and the crew was concerned that he had died. Oh, that was Literally crazy. the first shot of the movie, and they're yeah. like, well, we're done. Well, in that case, it would have been really easy to replace him, because they wouldn't have done a lot. You know? <laughs> it's not Eric a whole Stoltz, yeah. Eric Stoltz situation when they shoot half the film. Shoot, eh, yeah. We blew him up. Let's, let's bring in uh, Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, Willis found acting in Die Hard difficult because he was often alone. As you had said, not having any personal encounters with others. Uh, he did not spend much time with the rest of the cast between takes, opting to spend it with his new partner, Demi Moore. Yeah. Yeah, he's... Mm. Banging it out in his trailer. Sure. <laughs> sure. He's always been a bit of a, you know, his little attitude. But, you know, that's just who he is. Yeah, yeah. But that's also part of his charm, and that's what, you know, that it's that he's got this kind of devilish... 
likable devilish yeah. spin or yeah. something to him. It's it's a quality, it's a je ne sais quoi. <laughs> but no, it's a quality that is very rare. It's very rare to be a likable a-hole. Yeah. And that's basically who he is. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, Moonlighting, he's just a relentless prick. <laughs> but he's so charming about right, it. Right, right. You know, that he can get away with it. And same thing. Eh, now, now, you get to be a grumpy old man looks like a lady, and maybe you can't get away with it as much. But back then, man, he... Oh, man. It just... Oh, I, yeah. It was captivating. It was captivating. One of my favorite things that Bruce Willis has ever done was his guest stint on Friends. Oh, yeah. And it's so bizarre because he's, he uses that. I mean, that's he has almost no lines. He just uses that gravity of, like, this is who I am. And then you find out he's just a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny. And he was great about poking fun at himself, yeah. too. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like he may have been an a-hole when he was off screen or whatever, yeah. which is fine. Who well, cares? Your thing. But, yeah. You know, hit the work. He did the work, and of course you know, he did. Yeah, it, yeah. It, look back at all of his stuff back then, and and he was in some stinkers, but he was never a stinker. No, no. It's it's really too bad now because he's literally in everything and everything you've not heard of, and everything you don't want to see. Yeah, you know, he's like Nick Cage in the fact that yeah. he'll do fifteen horrible, forgettable, straight to streaming movies, and then and then you know, and then you got a good one. Yeah, chunked yeah. in there like Pig, for uh, Nick Cage. For Nick Cage, yeah. man, Pig was great. Yeah, great, and it, it reminds you like, damn, yeah, Nick Cage, man. He's he's an actor, yeah. and you forget because he's. It's like, ah, oh, man, there's six new Nick Cage movies on Prime yeah. this week, <laughs> and they all are from 2021. It's like, yeah, when does yeah. he have? When do these guys find the time to do it? No and idea. I, Willis must have like a ton that's of what alimony it, payments or something. I, I don't know, man, because it, it seems like new generic title starring Bruce Willis. Oh, my God. New generic sci-fi movie yeah, with Bruce yeah. Willis and, and another D-list star from the 90s. And you know, you know? he's in it for maybe 20 minutes. Sure. If that. Yeah. yeah. He's just in it to be like this. Yeah. Hey. Can see yeah, you look, I'm the, I'm the general. I'm going to tell you guys, go fight. I, when I worked for the International Film Sales, sales Agency, we every time, man, we would try to package Bruce Willis into sure. something. Because he'll do it. He'll come in for you three pay days. A million dollars, he'll work for two days and sells your movie internationally. Yep. You know, that's that's the thing. It's like these guys do these quick paydays. Yeah. You know, diminish it. It's, it's just a shame because, look, do whatever you want, man. Yeah. I, if yeah. I was given the opportunity, I would take 100%. anything. Yeah. You know, I would take anything, you know. Anything, no, but you know what I mean. It's like I don't, I don't begrudge anybody taking work and doing stuff. Sure, it's just he needs to. to I wish well, that like he it, was more uh, picky. Yeah, it's just a bummer you don't see him. He needs like a really good gritty TV show, like yeah. on HBO yeah. or something. He needs to yeah. be, yeah, that like would be a good. grizzled. You know, he's a grizzled retired. Okay, oh, okay, Hollywood. Here we go. Here we go. I see it happening. Okay. So we got Bruce Willis is a retired profiler for the FBI. And he, uh, the last case he did was the serial killer that they never caught. Yeah. You know, but now he uh, does cold cases. So he volunteers with this young group of cold case uh, investigators to try to, you know, solve these cases. And then he gets in this one case and he realizes. This is the serial killer. It's, it's the case. They got away. The one that This kid is in jail for the crime from the serial killer, so he can investigate it again. But it's a series, so we're not going to find the guy in the first season. We'll stretch <laughs> it out for a couple of seasons, and then we'll come to another serial killer or something. But 
but it's like it's like you know it gives them a chance to be like gritty and alcoholic or whatever. Oh and man, actually do some acting. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you call it uh, you call it the cop. <laughs> yeah, no, no, or just cop. Well, maybe he already did a movie called like he did. Oh, yeah, and there, there was there a, was a I think there was cop out or something. Wasn't that, that? Yeah. yeah, the Kevin Smith movie. But you you call it a profile. No, I don't know. You call it old man. In, in from the cold? I don't call it whatever the hell you want. But you get it for free. Yeah. All right, Bruce Willis in Hollywood. Yeah. And when this yeah. comes out on Netflix <laughs> in 2022 or 2023, you're welcome. Uh, so in contrast to, to Bruce Willis, uh, Bonnie Bedelia, Reginald Vell Johnson, and Alan Rickman all hung out together all the time. <laughs> sure, they seem like fun people. <laughs> they were all just hanging out. Alan Rickman's probably having a blast. It's his first movie. Yeah. You know? Could you imagine? It's like it'd it be at your age. Well, I, it was his first American movie. Right. Yeah. Yes. Big movie. I mean, yeah. he did a few. I mean, like, it was, yeah. I remember that, you know, that movie he did, he did where, stuff, where yeah. he was the ghost and I yeah. don't remember what that was the first time I saw him. Oh yeah, was when he was like I don't remember what that is. It might have even come out afterwards. I don't know, but I remember he, there was the first thing I really remember him in was uh, you know one, uh, one of the great British actresses of yeah. the time. Yeah, you know he dies. Oh, it was just a ghost walking around him and he can <laughs> and they're still in love. But you know yeah, right, they, right. she has to let him go, right? So she can move on. I don't want to go, but. I think he went at the end. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> letting go, uh, there's the famous letting go early hands group oh, drop. Oh, yes. Uh, it'd be a missed, not a remiss, not to mention it. Uh, they end up using the first take, but McTiernan actually convinced him to do it twice. Uh, well, it's never going to work again. Yeah. You're never going to get that trick. It's for those of you who don't know, anybody under a rock who yeah. doesn't know this, uh, when – Alan Rickman did his own drop. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, he was tethered in the yeah, was a it was, bag. You know, it was not from, from the building. building. No. It was in a studio, yes. and it was very yeah. safe. But they said they were going to drop him on three, yeah. and they dropped him on one. Right? Oh, I thought they, they dropped him on two. Oh, did they? I thought yeah, it was, I on, it was on, one. on two. But anyway, so the look on his face is genuine. Yeah, because yeah. they, you know, they freaked him out. Now. You can't recreate no, that no. absolute surprise because he's ready for it. He's like. Cool. Yeah, he's yeah, a, yeah. You know, he's gonna be he's gonna be flinching, but it's such, it's such an a amazing yeah. reaction. It's like, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, that shot. <laughs> Slow movie. It's like a seventy-five uh, minute shot. In the falling. in the book, I do know this. In the book, uh, one of the changes they made was that one of uh, Joe Leland's the main character became John McClane. One of his daughters yeah. falls with him yeah. and dies yes. as well. What's his daughter doing there? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This is part of the reason I didn't want to read the book. Hey, well, look, just, who cares? Yeah. His daughter's probably 45 because the yeah. guy's in his 60s. It's yeah. not like it was a little girl. <laughs> she wasn't seven. You know, she was, she was uh, unfortunately, you know, she lived with a lot of cats. She had respiratory problems. Yeah. So, you know, better off. Uh, the film's ending had not been finalized when they started shooting. Uh, they were still trying to figure out how to end it. Uh, the scene where Argyle stops Theo by ramming the ambulance with the limo. I'm going to um, pick a bone real quick, okay? Okay. Argyle. Okay. Okay. What is it with the 80s and having to name somebody Ar something stupid? Like, have you ever met an Argyle? Has there ever met anybody named Argyle? I did this. I named a guy Cashew. And I was like, why did and I, I, I change that? Except, well, the reason why his name's Cashew is because his butt was shaped like a cashew, and that was his nickname. You find that out at the end. It was a really cool reveal. Yeah. But again, nobody has that name. Nobody has the name Argyle, you know? Somebody does. No. 
Well, maybe now some idiot named their kid I, Argyle I after a, watching I them. I think it's a British name. I no, it's a type of sock, Adam. Argyle yeah. socks. What? And where Who, do you think that came from, Jim? From our, the, the town of Argyle in London. Uh, not London. In England. England. <laughs> Argyle, England is where they made. And the reason why is because in World War II, they couldn't get enough material to make a solid sock. So they had to put all of these different colors together. So in Argyle, they created the Argyle sock. 100% do not believe anything you're saying right You now. shouldn't, because I lied. Yeah. But it sounded pretty plausible. <laughs> so in the scene... Hey, Hollywood, here's another where, movie uh, for you about making Argyles. No. <laughs> Incorrect. Uh, in the scene where Argyle stops Theo by ramming the ambulance with the, li- the limo... Uh, Devereaux, the uh, guy who plays Argyle, he actually punched him. Yeah, and you could see it. Yeah. And they used the take because he, he hurt did. his hand really bad. He actually punched him. Uh, they were given room to improvise. That's uh, a bad improvisation. Punch <laughs> <it again. laughs> oh, wait, ouch. Ah. Theo's line, the quarterback is toast. Bachner's hands, booby, I'm your white knight. The quarterback um, is toast. These were all improvised. They were the guy who steals the chocolate bar. Like, this is all improvised. Oh, great. oh man, all and that guy, too. One of the greatest. Always a henchman. Oh, yeah. Always yeah, a henchman. Yeah. He was I in no idea what his name is. Oh uh, no, neither do I. We'll have to figure it out because he's in two of the movies. He was also in Lethal Weapon. He was the guy that that uh, oh, yeah. electrocuted yeah. Riggs. Yeah, with the thing. Yeah, he yeah. was the torturer. Yeah. He was. He totally. He has forgotten more about pain and torture. The, than the funny thing is know. that the character's name, even though he was obviously Asian, the character's name was Uli. Uli. He was German. Yeah. <laughs> in the movie, he was German. He was great, and uh, yeah, and that one guy, the quarterback, is toast. Yeah. Ah, oh, what a voice. Theo. Yeah, he was Theo, great. Theo, man. He was great. Oh. Uh, Michael Kamen scored the movie. Uh, he mixed the melodies of Ode to Joy, Winter Wonderland, and Singing in the Rain into a score. Again, perfect. Yeah. Again, yeah. without you, the climactic. Is so perfect for this movie yeah. it adds so much gravity it was to it. it was done in lower keys to make it sound more menacing oh yeah it's brilliant it was just yeah. absolutely brilliant and it, it yeah. builds up to when they finally open the yes. vault and it's the you know, full boom, symphony boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah it is so brilliantly done yeah. again the recipe all the ingredients for this movie is just you you couldn't have picked a better mix i can't think of anything that's out of place in this movie no, no. Uh, the end of the movie, when Carl attempts to kill McLean, uh, and they, and then Reginald Val Johnson has to shoot him. Uh, he didn't like McTiernan didn't like the piece of music that that Michael Kamen wrote, so they used a piece of temporary music, which was part of an unused score by James Horner for Aliens. Nice. It's actually in the movie. <laughs> nice. This is a scene too. Like I said before, like everything was solved with the violence. Yeah. All of these movies, all of them have the bad one of the bad guys <laughs> rises from the yeah, dead yeah. or rises from it's a very horror movie weapon. trope exactly yeah, yeah but it gives I, I just love this is so 80s man that the cop's redemption is that he could kill again <laughs> He could re- I learned to kill again. Thank you, John McClane, for helping me. I killed a kid because I, and I couldn't kill anymore because I killed a child. But now I can kill again, and I can get off this Twinkie route and get back to being an LAPD officer. Shooting people. Brutal. Yes, shooting people all the time. I love it. So 80s, man. Uh, so Die Hard was released. It ended up grossing around $140 million. Got my um, money. The film never was number one at the box office, but it did spend 10 straight weeks in the top five. 
Uh, it had legs. It stayed yeah. in. Yeah, it had long legs. It was nominated for four Academy Awards: Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Sound. Uh, it lost the first three to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and right. lost the sound to the movie Bird. Yeah, Bird, uh, Clint Eastwood, great yeah. movie. Yeah, and great uh, movie. you know Roger Rabbit. You can't compete. Yeah, I mean, baby. yeah, it's not. That, that was, was a juggernaut. Yeah. Oh my god, that yeah. was like. It was a revelation. Yeah. I know? think there was that's nothing. why Die Hard was never number one. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure Roger Rabbit was... What a great year uh, for yeah. movies that oh, year, yeah. too, yeah. man. I mean, the 80s just consistently had these great years filled with these classic blockbusters. Fantastic movies. I, being able to go... Yeah, I, we talked about this during Gremlins and yeah. the fact that it was open during everything else. Dude, theater bouncing back then was a joy. Yeah. Because it was yeah. just blockbuster, 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 blockbuster. A third-person shooter video Which game. you should never do. Oh, no, you shouldn't. It you should is, pay for everything. Back then, movies were only 66 cents, so it didn't really hurt anybody. But now that <laughs> movies are $450, yeah, don't go yeah, jumping. Don't, don't do it. Uh, or chase, don't go chasing waterfalls. Uh, uh, <laughs> Stick to the rivers and the... <laughs> the lakes that you used <laughs> to know? Used yeah. to know yeah. uh, a third-person shooter video game. Die Hard was released in 1989 for the Commodore 64 and Windows. Yeah, that thing, man, the Commodore 64 held it, on it, it like was, mother. It's crazy that it's still, yeah. Uh, different top-down shooter versions released for the TurboGrafx-16 and the NES. Uh, the TurboGrafx-16 edition begins with McLean fighting terrorists in a jungle. Yeah. And the NAS version offers Because they just reskinned Contra. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the NAS version offers a foot meter that slows McLean's movements after he repeatedly steps on shattered I think I glass. had this. I'm pretty sure I had I'm pretty this. sure I played it. Yeah. I don't know if I ever actually owned it, but... Um, I had the trilogy one, I think, that they ended up making. Didn't they have one? That was the Die Hard trilogy came out in 1996. Yeah. It was for the PlayStation. It adapted the first three Die Hard movies. Yeah. I think my friend... I never had the PlayStation. I didn't come on yeah. to the PlayStation bandwagon until PlayStation 2. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I remember my friend, I think, had the Die Hard game. Uh, the one that I really remember was a Die Hard arcade, which was in 1997. It was a Japanese arcade game. Dynamite Dika was redesigned and released in Western territories as Die Hard Arcade. Uh, you got to choose either playing John McClane or a secondary character named Chris Thompson. Yeah, you remember to, Chris. To battle through Nakatomi Plaza, defeat terrorists led Chris... by White Fang and rescue the president's daughter. Okay, well, Chris Thompson was the guy on the plane that told him to ball his toes ball on his the carpet. Toes? Oh, okay. And, and in, in the movie, in the original script, he was going to like come to the party with him. He's like, why don't you come with me? We'll have a few drinks. We'll have some laughs. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, and then they repurposed that for, you know, when he was in one of the tubes or right. whatever you call them, the, the ducts. The ducts, the air ducts. Uh, yeah. So he was supposed to come, and uh, he was going to give him his shoes. He was going to be at the party, and he was going to be oh, like, oh, here's your shoes. He forgot his shoes. And he saw him in the, in the office. He comes in his know, you know, person. He's like, he forgot his shoes. So the whole time. McLean is is running around killing everybody. This guy's running around behind him trying to get him his shoes, and he accidentally Sir. kills a few people Sir, too. Sir, your shoes. Sir, exactly. It was a little convoluted, <laughs> so that's why they cut it out. Yeah, I'm but, gonna go uh, ahead and say yeah. Was but it was that, cool that they included him in the game. That was it. it would have been more true to the book. Yes, <laughs> yes. The guy was a he had a foot fetish. The one that wrote the book. Ugh. Uh, he was it he had a little, a little Tarantino. Was it written by Quentin yes. Tarantino? <laughs> yeah. Uh, two first-person shooters were released in 2002, Die Hard Nakatomi Plaza, which recreates the events of Die Hard, and Die Hard Vendetta, which serves as a narrative sequel to the film, pitting McLean against Gruber's son, Piet. Ooh, I don't, I don't think I played these. I didn't either. I didn't. I didn't even realize. I can't believe I didn't. 
I, I, yeah, I don't have to look up and see what they were actually on. I'm thinking they were just PC games. Yeah. I don't think they were console games. Yeah, I've always been a console gamer. Uh, same, same. Uh, movie spawned four sequels. None of them quite as good as the original. Uh, no. Okay. So two okay. Three really good. I, I love three. three. Three, I think. But that's four. I love four. I thought uh, uh, four with uh, Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, yeah, I thought Oliphant was yeah. great. I thought uh, Maggie uh, Grace, Maggie Maggie Q. I thought Maggie Q Maggie was great. Q. Yeah, I thought uh, that the the little nerdy kid from Justin uh, Galaxy Quest, Justin Long. Thru. No, Justin Long as the as the boy. I thought it was just like it had good pairings. I thought Kevin Smith was funny. And then that's when yeah, they were like, hey, yeah. let's make a movie together. And then they hated yeah. each other for the rest of their lives. <laughs> um, but it was a fun movie. Yeah. It was a fun movie. I don't know what the hell. It was a really fun movie, I thought. I yeah. really liked all the characters. I liked the, the, the whole conceit of it. You know, with the computers and everything. And yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Like, it was, it was an interesting concept. It was you know? fun. I mean, it, was... It, it lost me the one. I, I didn't have any fun with the Russian one. That's when I yeah. That's when I was the at. fifth movie was yeah. was because yeah. it was joyless and I not, and it was and no offense to Jai Courtney yeah I'm not a huge fan of him um, is it Jai or Jay Jay I, I don't Jay. know Jai 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 Courtney after Jai Jai Courtney who's okay I'll give him props he was great as Boomerang I really liked yeah. him as Boomerang yeah. in the Suicide was... Squad movies but in this movie I didn't like him as John McClane's kid. I didn't like the whole Russian thing, and then the tank stuff. It was it, just so the movie it was joyless. It was too um, big, unbelievable. Yeah, it was. There's no way that he could just show up in Moscow and take over the city, no, and like it no. just the whole thing didn't make it sense. It was dumb. It was just too big. The thing. This is the problem, Adam. I'm so angry. <laughs> no, but as I am personally problem. responsible for you Hollywood. Sh- <laughs> yes, you are. People don't know this. Write your letters. Um, this is the problem. You start with a movie that is small, yeah, contained, yeah, and is personal. Yeah, there's big stuff. There's yeah. helicopters and the FBI, and but it all fits. You know, none of it is like way over the top. All of it, sure, pretty much happen. You know, it's all that's all background. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's all background yeah. to it. Basically, a story about a guy getting back together with his wife, right, and or stopping trying stuff. to. Yeah, it, two got away from it. Got a little too big. big. Too big. And, I'm and not the a fan villain, too. not a fan of the villains it's either. It's forgettable. It's forgettable. It's just like, who, was it, wasn't it like military guys who they yeah, yeah. pretended were dead, but yeah. they were... It was so convoluted and dumb. Yeah. And then three, you got back to kind of a personal story with Sam Jackson yeah. and him having to and solve it, these problems. And it tied in with the first Jeremy villain. Jeremy Irons was yeah. a great villain. It tied in with the story. Of the and first it had the story. great little twist to Rue where yeah. he doesn't really give a crap about the... No, no, revenge. It was all. It was so great. I mean, it, it harkened back to the first one to yeah. me. Yeah, I loved it. I thought Sam Jackson and it was fantastic. and Bruce Willis had an amazing chemistry. Is yeah. all hungover at the beginning and, and the whole racist racist. Yeah, it was just so well done. I think that that to me is the second best. Uh, agreed, hundred you know? percent. And then four, like I said, yeah, super fun, little big, but but also contained. It was a story of him and Justin Long. You know, yeah. it was basically. Yeah. If you break it down, it's him meeting his daughter's boyfriend. Right, right, <laughs> right. In right, the most right. messed up way possible. <laughs> but that's why it didn't work after that because it wasn't a personal thing about him and his son or him having the rest no. of his son. Somehow his son is some great superhero, super, yeah, super guy whatever. too. You know, it's just like, come on, Although, the guy's a New York cop. I will say the end of the fourth movie, that's when it lost it for me. When he started flying the plane, like I 
Oh. It, it was the ending just got too big. When he like fell on the yeah. the jet. It was just too much. I but Yes. But it's still, that being said, it was still fun. Yes. And I, I still had a good time with it. Like I liked when he when they jumped out of the car and shot it up into the helicopter. I thought that was super <laughs> super cool. I love yeah, that bit. Yeah. That gag was awesome. Yeah, it was it was yeah, yeah, but it wasn't yeah. you're right. It's like the only movie that could get away with somebody jumping on a jet and squirreling around yeah. is that Arnie movie, uh, True Lies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? But that but that makes sense in the story. I mean, it makes sense. Plus, it's one of those crazy big And True Lies is incredible. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm going to say n- no more. We're done. Yeah. No more. No yeah. more. Unless, unless you want to do like a really small personal thing yeah. where he's like, like, if you actually make almost the book, right, you know, right. this kind of washed up guy <laughs> in his 60s who's like a security yeah. guard and, and something happens and he has to do it, you know, or make it a comedy. I don't know. But yeah. I don't think, yeah. you know, nobody's going to buy this old man, you know, bust. You know, what yeah. is it going to be? Like, how much bigger can it be? I don't know if they're making another one. Do you know? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think they had bandied the idea about, but I think they just, it's, he's too old. They did like a, like a diehard battery. Yeah. Last tie-in. Christmas or Christmas before. So. Oh man, they keep it doing was like these, a short film. Yeah. yeah. They keep doing these awful short films around <laughs> Christmas where they try to bring back E.T. or Gremlins uh, or Die Hard. Marketing, lazy. Marketing is lazy. Yeah, but if you're going to do it, do it like I don't care. Like, I, like I if, know, if I know. They've done it before, where it's like it's great. You yeah, know? yeah, it's it's fun, and you know, you don't care if it's a commercial. You know, it's it works, but it's just like <laughs> this. It's you can't, you can't force nostalgia. No, <laughs> don't we know it? Yeah, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Die Hard. The reason why we watch it every year is because it's a perfect movie. It is 100% a perfect movie. And to two cynics... Look, I love Christmas specials. We talked yeah. about it on the yeah, Stepdad yeah. Show, the Rankin and Bass stuff, the Snoopy. The yeah. Snoopy. The Snoopies. Hey, hey, hey. Get you some Snoops. Awesome stuff, but it's not Christmas to me unless I watch Die Hard. Yeah, same. That's the one thing I cannot miss. I have gone yeah. years without seeing the Charlie Brown Christmas. I've gone years without seeing the stuff, but I have not missed no. a viewing Die Hard. of Die Hard. Every Christmas Eve. So fire it up tonight. Get your Die Hard yeah. on. Okay, here's what we're going to Okay, let's make a, let's talk about a sandwich. We got Die Hard. What do you think goes, should we go Die Hard and Die Hard? Well, Die Hard 2 takes place at Christmas too, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, but the third one doesn't, but it's, but it doesn't matter. No. Let's Not just Die watch Hard Die too. Hard. Just watch, just Die, watch Hard. Die Hard. And then like maybe some Rankin and Bass stuff. Yeah. And then, yeah. uh. And then maybe Last Action Hero or something. Oh, there I don't you know. go. Pop That's something. We'll get another big old movie in there. True Lies. Oh, yeah. yeah. True Lies. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks so much. Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. Uh, be safe out there. And uh, oh, oh, oh. we'll be back next week with uh, some uh, another Stepdad show. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, the year and what's coming up. Our New Year's show. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. And don't be naughty. They paid me what they thought I was worth for the film. And for them... Oh, Jesus, let me do that again. Yeah, yeah. Ah, Somebody can't read. (laughs) We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Charlie's Angels, already in progress.